Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to TGMR, the Galleries at Moore Radio, a public art talk radio station broadcasting from the Moore College of Art and Design. Uh, listen live, search the archive of past broadcasts, or find out how you can get on the air at thegalleriesatmore.org. This is Matt Kalaski. I'm really excited to have Josh Gropera in the studio with me today. Uh, Josh is an organizer, artist, and printmaker. Uh, they're going to tell us about their show, Blockadia, up right now at Cindy Ross Enger Studio in South Philadelphia. Josh, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Matt. Thanks for having me. So first, I want to you do uh, tell us a little bit about... Um, your history and your practice of printmaking because from what we've been talking about that seems like the the sort of foundational or the the source from what a lot of your practice stems from sure um yeah I've, I've been a printmaker primarily a screen printer um for uh i guess if you, you count me actually learning the process, I learned it in high school. So uh, it's about 12 years old. Uh, and I learned the most, uh, I guess, frustratingly difficult way possible, which, or that I can think of, which is a, a rubyleth method, uh, cutting a, a stencil and then adhering it with lacquer. Um, and uh, uh, studying printmaking also, um, got me interested in the history of why print is important and how print um, can be used to um, kind of spread information in, a, in an easier way. Um, and uh, and uh, wow, screen printing is so much fun when you, when you finally get it. Uh, so so I, I really got the bug. Um, and uh, I've been lucky enough to to continue screen printing um, uh, and and even teach it every once in a while, which is nice. Cool. Can you tell us? Uh, so the show that you have up right now, uh, Blockadia, is a a very multifaceted project. One, can you give us a introduction to the project, and then maybe uh, tell us how printmaking comes into that project, feeds it, informs it, shapes it, things like that? Sure. Um, so Blockadia is a uh, mythology that I created um, in 2014. Uh, the name Blockadia is not original to me. If, if I remember correctly, it was coined by Naomi Klein um, to talk about uh, the folks on the front lines of climate change. So, um, uh, you know, for example, uh, the f folks doing direct action along uh, the Keystone XL pipeline. Um, so I found, I found that word very beautiful um, and used that as a way to create a mythological uh, organizing hub uh, by and, and for people of color. Um, so for the last five years, I've been uh, thinking about what that means, um, uh, who the folks that live there are, 
and why why they're doing what they're doing. Um, so this show uh, is is a way to kind of lay out that story um, as far as I understand it, um, mm-hmm. but also pay homage to um, what I what I call real life blockadians or um, real life organizers um here in philadelphia who who are doing all of the the lofty goals that that Mm -hmm. blockadia illustrates so when you say blockadia do you mean people is it block and this is maybe just such a fundamental thing is it you mean block as in like a building block or do you mean block as in stop like what's the sorry that seems like an important that's actually (laughs) it's a great question because it's something that i think about a lot um and it's both right what are the things that we need to build to protect ourselves um what are the building blocks that we need to, to create the world that we want to live in? Um, so, yes, Blockadia in the sense of uh, uh, creating protection, um, and but also blocks in the sense of, um, you know, the, fun, the, the kind of fundamental shape or unit in which things can stack and, and build and support uh, support. Uh, each other right um yeah both both as like a building but also as support networks or um other things like that so when people go and see this show so you're describing this place that doesn't exist right right and these people that do the people exist or that can you be a participant or a uh resident of blockadia or you're describing this thing that doesn't have a form can you tell people when they go to this show what do they see and what are some of the other ways you sort of describe this blockadia body uh, that doesn't exist what are the what are your methods yeah so uh when, uh, like, if you go to this show, uh, to s- the, the current show, Blockadia Sim, it's, uh, it, you walk in and, and you grab an artist statement, which is in the form of a comic book. Um, so each person gets to take home a comic book with them that kind of walks them through the gallery. Um, and uh, essentially, a, uh, in 2017, a meteor hit the island and it exploded. Um, the few remaining survivors uh, sent a care package um, to Philadelphia uh, where it was discovered and cataloged. So you can actually see some of the, the relics that they sent here, right? Um, of course, that's a story, right? These are sculptures and paintings um, and uh, printouts made by me. Um, but uh, as you kind of make your way through the gallery, you start to get familiar with this place that um, is dedicated towards protecting uh, folks of color uh, throughout the cosmos. Um, and then once you hit the fourth wall um, <laughs> in, the re- in the real <laughs> and also the gallery sense. Metaphorically um, <laughs> and physically. <laughs> you will see a... Uh, a a wall dedicated to Stadium Stompers, uh, which is a group um, organizing in north central Philadelphia around 
uh, Temple's proposed 35,000 seat football stadium. So uh, these are uh, the real life blockadians, right? Um, so it's a it's a parafictional space. Um, uh, you know, uh, for folks to um, get inspired by resistance and but then also have a real life case study so that it's not like this feel good thing. Um, and then we go home and then that's it. Um, it really, really uh, tries to focus on 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 work that's that's happening. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's maybe the next thing I want you to talk about is, you know, this project, which is sort of speculative fiction or um, fantasy or building or uh, just creative writing or illustration. How does that connect to some of your work, uh, your real life sort of uh, work, either with the Stadium Stoppers or other organizations or even some of your other past uh, community oriented projects? How do those how does this like fantasy world building and this real world building, how do those connect for you? Yeah, um, I, I really think that uh, as a personally uh, as a human being I need both in order for the mm -hmm. other to make sense um, so uh, um, I've had an interest in, in art making and visual art for a long time um, and and wanted to find ways to um, create work that was about um, the world that I that I saw uh, around me. I have, a, I have a really traditional sense, or I'm sorry, a traditional training in observational drawing. Um, and while I, you know, you won't see me uh, out on the corner, like drawing <laughs> from life, I really do feel like I'm using observational tools yeah. um, to inform my work. Um, but as, as someone who's interested in activism and organizing, uh, I try to use my artistic skills um, uh, f to help benefit uh, causes that I care about. Um, so I do graphic design, um, screen printing posters, making banners, giant paintings that can be used in actions. Um, uh, and then, and then more recently, um, working with groups of folks to make videos about um, uh, campaigns or or um, or uh, different events that they yeah. care about. So I really like what you said about you, like making uh, building these coalitions, you know, in the an imaginary world and building them in a in the real world. You need both of them to work together. I'm curious about a time when like you've were imaginative or speculative imagining has helped in a real world sort of organization or setting or even just with a group. Do you think you think of any examples of Yeah, for sure. Um so uh this past year uh I was an uh a artist working on a public art project in my hometown of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, it's a, it's a really small town, but it's going, a, uh, it's, it's having a lot of, uh, similar, um, 
similar problems, both in terms of uh, development, gentrification, increased uh, inc increased living costs uh, uh, that Philly is having. And um, so uh, I was brought on as a, a artist through Langster Public Art to uh, create a series of um, workshops and uh, events that helped folks collectively envision what the future of our neighborhood could look like. Um, and uh, I started with a, a mind map, if you're familiar with those, when you're in grade school, you know, your teacher writes uh, fiction and circles it on the board, and then you have to draw a line out, and you're like, historical fiction. You draw another line out that's like a, uh, an example of what historical fiction could be, and it, and it keeps building off of itself. Um, my central bubble was future Southeast Lancaster, and uh, by the end of it, we had a 8-foot uh, by 16-foot piece of paper with hundreds of suggestions and dreams and needs and curiosities from from our smallest residents to our oldest, lo most long-standing residents. Um, and it was a way to really uh, capture the imagination. Um, so, you know, so much of, of what happens through city planning or new development is they're, they're not usually asking the folks who live and will continue to live in the neighborhood and, and feel the effects of whatever development is happening. Mm -hmm. um, this kind of flips the script a little bit. So that was a way for me to to use a try, tried and true, um, uh, you know, exercise that I use in my own studio practice to make a lot of mind maps for my own world, <laughs> for my own world and my own work. Um, but it, to be able to do it in a collective way uh, was absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. Really cool. What were some of the things that people wanted to, to see? Uh, you know, folks wanted to see more public spaces. Um, uh, they want better education. They want solid jobs. Um uh, a lot of the kids I talked to wanted a, a kind of arcade. You know, <laughs> of, you know so much of gaming um, is is online, and, and you're not really connected to the people uh, next to you. You know that you're playing with, but mm -hmm. you know there's there's a lot of excitement and energy for for spaces where where kids and families can come together and and be together in in uh, in in real life as well. Um, but, you know, folks want to, you know, folks want to see, uh, multicultural spaces. It's a, it's a big, uh, black and Latinx neighborhood, um, in Lancaster that I, that I grew up in and, and folks want to see, uh, spaces that reflect, uh, the vibrant culture. Um, they want to see more black owned businesses in the neighborhood, um, and they want to see protection in terms of housing security, job security, so that, you know, not only um, families today are, are protected, but, but their families going forward yeah. are protected as well. So what, in that project, what did you do? Like, where did the, the artistry come over to? You took these, you, you worked with these, these groups. Where did the envisioning or the imaginary or the, like, artistic... Um, interpretation or just like extrapolation how did that that come into that uh it really came through um well on one end it, it came through planning um so 
there were there were about four or five events for the first phase of, of this um, of this project uh, called Pace Public Art Community Engagement, um, and uh, uh, each one had a theme uh, as well as a different community partner. Um, so for the first one, it was at Crispus Attics Community Center, which is the longest running. Uh, black-owned, uh, non-religious community center in, in uh, Lancaster County. Um, so uh, we focused on time, uh, exploring personal histories and personal futures and then bringing them together as a group. Um, other places had themes like public space, um, economy, um, identity and community. Uh, so different conversations were built out of that. And, uh, you know, as an artist, my job was to facilitate an exercise, creative drawing, collage, conversation. Uh, uh, and then I had, uh, I was really lucky to have uh, my dear friend and uh, collaborator, Selena, uh, co-facilitate these meetings with me so that we could both and we both grew up in this neighborhood you know we could both talk to people um you know really hear what they have to say redirect the conversation if it's going in a different way or if it's going in a different way and it's more interesting you know mm -hmm. um, um making note of that mm -hmm. right so i believe um there's for this project, uh, the the core artistic practice was actually facilitation. Yeah. Um, how do you listen to folks and uplift them um, when when they have something really important to say, but also um, you know work with folks to to uh, you know believe that yeah, this idea you've had in the back of your brain for 10 years that you don't really tell anyone is is really amazing and should yeah. be noted. And maybe there are other folks in the neighborhood that want to do a similar thing, yeah. right? That visioning seems um, really powerful, right? And I mean, as a, and a sort of core tenet of any sort of artistic process, right? It always starts with something inside someone's head that they need to see or want to see sort of made manifest. And I think that, you know, is a, a lot of times a practice or a mindset or a methodology that a lot of times, um, you know, it's something that artists take for granted because it's so, it's at the core of an artistic practice. But it's important, you know, for everyone to have that ability or everyone to have that realization that like you can take something that's inside your head and even if it's just like seeing it spoken in even if it's not like real to see it at least some form out in the world is a really powerful and empowering um, uh, idea or action. But one thing I also want to hear you talk about is because when we were talking earlier about the influence of video games on your practice and how playing video games, you, I think you almost described it as a type of research or a type of like, um, metabolism for your practice like how do you, how does video games uh come into work here uh yeah they they inform so much of my work whether it's uh aesthetically um or even conceptually the idea of there is a space in which um that is not part of your actual tangible reality um mm -hmm. that 
you can, actually so much of your brain space can occupy. And, and I think it's, it's a little more easier for folks to kind of relate to that sense because we have social media today mm-hmm. and that's another virtual space that holds so much power and influence in the way that we think and explore the world. Um, but, uh, my mom got me a, a game boy when I was four. Uh, <laughs> and I don't think she quite knew to the, you know, extent in which it would impact my life. Um, so I play all kinds of games. Um, uh, right now I'm, I'm playing a lot of Tetris as this beautiful, like way to relax and, and challenge myself in, in, in a, in a real time puzzle challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, uh, video games gave me the, the permission to daydream, to, um, explore my imagination and, um, kind of create a reality in, in which like, you know, the things that are important to me can shine through. Yeah. I know we, we talked a, a little bit about Minecraft, right, as a as a gateway. That Can you speak a little bit how that specifically, I feel like, ties into these world-building sort of endeavors that you... Yeah. Um, I think as, as we were saying earlier, it's like I really want to make a video game as someone who has absorbed and consumed this medium for so long. It, mm-hmm. And being a, a visual maker, you know... It seems obvious at some point I'm gonna be like, "Well, I'm tired of playing the game. Like, mm-hmm. I wanna, I wanna tell a story and and um, and uh, you know bring it to life." Now, however, I I don't have those resources, so you know after you know kind of going down the line and looking at free software and realizing that this was you know maybe a five year plan, there was mm-hmm. another way in which I could continue. Um, exploring this avenue, and it, it was mm-hmm. through Minecraft. Um, you know, a twenty dollar game that uh, lets me explore what Blockadia could look like, but also, um, you know, it gives me a connection to uh, kids and other folks who are interested in in virtual spaces um, to uh, have a have a much more accessible. Uh, point of entry into into building things virtually or talking about the virtual world um uh and and it's it's uh been really really cool like i i like i have minecraft for a few different systems most recently i got it for the nintendo switch so i can build while i'm on the subway yeah (laughs) the moment inspiration strikes you know i can i can um I can add to it. Um, uh, something that I haven't tapped into yet, but I'm really interested in, uh, with Minecraft is its ability to have um, collaborations mm-hmm. and have an open server where folks can add to it. Um, so I definitely see myself uh, going down that road. Um, but ultimately, I would I would like to make uh, my own video game that tells the story of Blockadia that, that lets the... Uh, uh, player um, be uh, have more agency in this world, bring this world a little bit closer to real life. Yeah. So my last question is then, in Blockadia as it is now, what are the ways that people can 
get involved? Like, how do they participate, interact? Uh, you can uh, you can come see this show, uh, Blockadia Sim, uh, at Cindy Royce Ettinger Gallery. Um, it's a it's a primer to the uh, to the world um, and um, and and to uh, uh, stadium stompers as as kind of a case study of of the ideas of that world. Um, uh, but for now, you know, uh, uh, you can follow me on my website or uh, stay tuned for upcoming events. Um, and uh, you know, who knows what that what form that yeah. might take? It it could be performance, it could be video, or it could be another show. Well, Josh, I'm really excited to see how Blockadia is uh, developed or destroyed or uh, how it evolves in the future here. And I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks for having me. That again, uh, was, uh, Josh Gropera. Uh, Josh's show blockadia.sim is going to have a closing reception this Saturday, Saturday, March 9th, five 30 to seven 30. Uh, the Cindy Ross enter studio is at 22nd and South street. Uh, I hope you all can come and check it out. Uh, That's all from Matt Klasky and TGMR. Thanks for listening.